0: welcome
1: back to the home with havila podcast we are wrapping up such a great month of our marriage series with a really special episode on restoration and what to do when your marriage is broken havila got to chat with dr clint davis and we wanted to share a little bit about his background before you dive in Dr. Clint Davis is an Army veteran who has a bachelor's in psychology from Louisiana Tech University and a master's in marriage and family therapy from Fuller Theological Seminary. He is an ordained minister and licensed professional counselor trained in EMDR for trauma, restoration therapies for couples and families, a certified clinical trauma professional, and is also a certified sex addiction therapist. Clint owns Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness, where he has a team of mental health professionals, doctors, chiropractors, and dietitians who help people recover from trauma to the mind, body, and spirit. He is also currently the Director of Recovery for The Hub Urban Ministry that works to fight against poverty and human trafficking. He is married to his wife, Jacy and has two sons, Grady and Jude. So Clint has a pretty incredible background and he is bringing so much wisdom to this episode. And as always, Havla is bringing truth straight from her table to yours. She's not in a fancy studio. She's in her house with her loved ones as she's reporting this. So you may hear her dog Barkley add an extra amen onto something even when he's not supposed to be in the room. We like to leave some of that stuff in there to remind you that this is real life. Now, let's jump into this important conversation with Dr. Clint.
0: Hi, you guys. Welcome to the Home with Have Love podcast. Guys, we have such a treat today, but before I get into that, uh, I just want to remind you that last week on the podcast, we talked about marriages and kind of having different callings or maybe not a traditional type of relationship when it comes to pursuing our vocations and taking care of the kids and all the things. So if you missed that, my husband, my the Love of My Life Baby Maker, was on there last week. Go check that out. I think you'll learn a lot. I know I did. And then also we had a whole bunch of stuff this month on relationships. And so today we are not stopping. We are going to continue with relationships and marriage. And what we want to do is talk about restoration. We want to answer the question, uh, what do I do if my marriage is broken? Or what do I do if I... I'm going through a recovery in a marriage. Um, How do I know when to walk away? We're going to talk all about that. And today I am not alone. I have a guest with me who is a professional. Dr. Clint Davis is here. Uh, I'll let him share a little bit about himself, but he is an ordained minister. He has a master's in marriage and family therapy from Fuller Theological Seminary. I can say that. And also a psychology degree. And he is a husband and has two sons. Dr. Clint, welcome to the Home with Tablo podcast.
2: Hey, yeah, Clint, Clint's enough. Uh, I, don't, I don't have that back, back to after it quite yet. Um, so yeah. Prophesy it. It. We're just going to
0: prophesy it.
2: No. That's right. No, <laughs> okay, and that.
0: you're a dad of two boys too, right?
2: Yes, Grady and Jude. They, uh, They're about to turn four and seven this next month, so I'm excited about that.
0: Isn't it great? That age bracket is like my favorite. I just oh. love it.
2: Yeah, it's it's a lot of a lot of energy. We just did two trunker treats back to back. My kids go to Montessori, <laughs> and so
0: yes.
2: we we're out and too much sugar and too much blood. That's <laughs> it good.
0: It's so great. We have four boys, and that age is just like that. My favorite, favorite. They the funniest things they say. Um, I always say they tell all your secrets at that uh, age. Yeah, yeah. It's all it's it all comes out about that about that season. But watch everybody what where you live and kind of. At what you do within your 24 hours a day?
2: Yeah, so I was gonna, I was gonna laugh because I was looking at, looking at some of your stuff and listening to your podcast, and we got a golden doodle probably like uh, seven weeks ago. So we had another <laughs> to the family. So we're in puppy life with that golden doodle, and it made my wife and I both remember what uh, babies were like. Oh, it's again.
0: terrible! It's oh, terrible. Man. You can hear, you'll hear Barkley in the background right now. I have absolutely no control over that dog whatsoever. Yeah, what did you name your dog? Wags. Wags. That's
2: awesome. So <laughs> they're yeah, wags a lot, is what we call them. <laughs> so yeah, so I live in Treeport, Louisiana. Like you said, I went to Fuller in California, came back here, and I'm a veteran. And so I had a lot of PTSD myself and got into therapy, got into EMDR and some trauma recovery work. And then I was just, it helped so much. It saved my life, got me married. My parents were divorced, and that was probably a big part of the trauma, was just how do I get married to somebody and trust them and not know that it's going to fall apart. And so, you know, becoming a counselor and doing my own work, my own therapy, really helped me to see um, and have hope in that. And so came back to Shreveport, uh, started a private practice. I also work as a director of recovery for a ministry here that helps with human trafficking and poverty. And so those two worlds, you know, just helped me really understand trauma a lot more and then just started adding therapists to my staff, but as the need arose and, that ended up branching out to uh, three offices across kind of North Louisiana, uh, Treeport, Ruston, and Bozier. And then we have about 17 or 18 clinicians. And then we have a doctor, two doctors, pediatrician, um, chiropractor, two dietitians, um, massage therapist, and uh, a nurse practitioner, psychiatry. And so, you know, we do the integrative wellness thing. So we try to treat people holistically. And then just, I've been so lucky in the last couple of years to go around and speak about marriage and then primarily about uh, sexual abuse and neglect prevention in children. So helping parents of little ones, 10 and under, 12 and under, to not fall into the traps that we've fallen into the last decade with technology and pornography and all those kind of things.
0: Wow. I mean, and then, um, yeah, you clearly need, need more to do.
2: That's yeah. very
0: obvious. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, and then maintaining so my own can't. marriage. That's right. And your yeah. own kids and your own do- golden doodle. Um, right. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about how did you do, why did you know you wanted to do this and how did it all start for you?
2: Yeah, therapy, you know, my own trauma, I would say, I think growing up in a house is the oldest, I have a, a younger sister and just kind of keeping people together. We were actually sharing testimonies this morning and I was you know, going over this and it was like, you know, I think God wired me for it, but also just use the brokenness in my life to shake me into a person who had you know a great deal of empathy now as you know it, that can burn you and you can burn yourself out and so I think growing in maturity over the last few years and on the practice has taught me when to say yes when to say no and how to balance those things and so you know I think through the trauma divorce and war I just I just have learned to empathize in a way and understand that I've done all kinds of terrible things I've drank and drugged and you know, use women and pornography and all those things to cope and none of it worked. And, uh, you know, none of it, none of it brought me peace. And so after I went through therapy and realized all where all it was coming from, I was just like, man, I really want to do this. I felt like I had a testimony to give and to use and, and there in therapy was something that, you know, just came really easy to me. And so that allowed me to continue to try to help people out in the short of it.
0: It's so true. I do always say, you know, our pain, we, purpose doesn't come automatically. You can't just say, I had this painful moment and it has purpose. It really doesn't. It requires us making decisions to partner with the Holy Spirit, but also partner with who we want to be and make those choices along the way. And we can have, our pain can have purpose, but it's not automatic. Absolutely. And I don't know. I just, I love that. So I'm curious, you know, obviously with your practice and everything you're going through, um, and we've gone through with COVID, what do you see happening in marriages right now? And did you see a, any difference from how marriages were to what, with, with COVID and the shutdown and everything, the culture and the atmosphere of our, of our country and really the world? Because we have a lot of people that listen to this all over the world. What did you notice in relationships specifically?
2: Yeah, you know, I think up until right before COVID, you know, doing a lot of talks, doing the podcast that I do, doing the thing, you know, trying to help. I already knew that we were really bad at connecting. We think we're connected. We think we know the people in our lives, but when it really comes down to it, are we willing to share those most vulnerable parts of us? And I think most of us have had so much trauma in our life that we wouldn't necessarily name as trauma, that we we haven't gone back and healed from those things, and they're still having a, a huge grip on us in the present. And so, We've a lot of us have learned to just minimize our own stuff. You know, like I would have never said in the past, divorce was my problem or my parents' divorce was an issue. And until somebody helped me see how I was still playing that out in my life and my fear and my, you know, my wife now, I was just such a commitment foe because I was like, it has to be perfect or this isn't going to work, <laughs> you know, like, and so then I'm killing myself to make it perfect. And of course, you know, that's not going to happen. And so, yeah, I think that was all going on. Well, then COVID hit and what it's done is, all of us who were just holding it together and just numbing out with work, numbing out with exercise, numbing out with drugs, numbing out with porn, that no longer could be the thing that we did. It's almost like all of those negative or maladaptive coping skills were taken. You couldn't go to the gym. You couldn't go out. You couldn't leave the house. And so everybody was just stuck with their kids and their spouses. And it brought some people closer. Some people had to deal with their stuff and they got in therapy and they did the work and they met with the Lord and they met with the church. And then a lot of other people their w- the wheels fell off, you know, and they got in therapy and either separated or ended those marriages, but it, it, it almost was like a, you're going to have to act one way or the other. And, you know, for better or worse, that's been the case.
0: I know it's really intense. I've talked to, I just got off the road. I've been on the road for a couple of months and all over the States and just the dramatic effect it's had on marriages and how pastors are saying, I'm seeing more divorces happen In this one year than I did in years and years of ministry. But I love what you said. I, you know, I laughed because I love my kids. I don't love my kids enough to have them home 24 hours a day (laughs) for 10 weeks. Like I love you and I love it when you go and come back. Like absence makes the heart grow fonder. Um, and so there was no absence. It was really tough, even for people that fight for help and fight for connection it was relentless and it was scary and there was a lot going on. Um, and a lot of, a lot of things like there was this one moment in my life where I thought, I can't believe that the two choices I have in front of me is to educate my kids or to make a living. Like those are impossible choices. And it felt like everybody got into those moments. So one thing I want to, I want to ask you about, but I want to go back to something you said, and that is you said we each have traumas that we haven't quite dealt with. And often that's kind of what what's going on within like our life and why it's not working. How do we define trauma? How do we know it's trauma?
2: Yeah. I I define trauma as anything that's not nurturing. Wow. So what I anything mean by that, that's
0: not nurturing.
2: Wow. Yeah. So I would say. And I and I get there from my own work as a veteran. If people ask me to speak somewhere, right, or they're like, "Hey, come speak at Veterans Day," I'm a, what I tend to do to survive and mi- is to minimize is to say, "Well, I wasn't special forces, you know. I wasn't. I didn't get deployed ten times. I didn't kill a bunch of people, so I'm not that messed up." And we do that. But if I measure myself against what God intended, which is not to go to war at all, there's a huge gap. And so if we measure our marriages and our childhoods and and towards what God intended then we see that we all have some form of trauma. Now that trauma might not debilitate us for the rest of our lives, but it definitely is going to have a consequence. And so we we call that big T little t, right? So somebody flips you off in traffic, that's a little t trauma. It's not supposed to happen. It's not it doesn't feel good, but you don't spend the rest of your day, you know, miserable because a stranger flipped you off. Now, if you have extensive big T trauma, then that little moment might create a response that's so out of place that we're freaking out or feel so offended, but it's connected to a time where we felt really rejected or really emotionally attacked by somebody close to us. And so it's kind of both of those things.
0: Wow. That is so incredible. So instead of looking at the worst case scenario, we're looking at the best case scenario and we're identifying that's the best case, right? This is what God has. This is what was norm, like should have been healthy, so I'm not looking at worst case, which I think is kind of how we often approach it. It's like, why haven't yeah. we had that happen? So why would I, we just dismiss it? So I love that. I've never thought of it like that. That's brilliant. Um, and the, the, the small triggers that are often cues because of something else that's happened. So how do we know that there's something unresolved? Is it kind of obvious or do we kind of go, because I'm curious and I'll start here. Wouldn't you say that a lot of stuff in a marriage are small ts and big ts that come up, yeah. and that person's just the face to that. I don't know. That's what yeah. I no,
2: <laughs> I say, I say, I say, in marriage we fight about uh, a few different things, a thousand different ways. <laughs> yes. So you know, it feels like oh, we're talking about sex, or we're talking about communication, or we're talking about money, or we're talking about parenting. But what it's gonna, those are the that's the symptom mm-hmm. or the content. What's gonna trickle down is is our belief system about ourselves right? Am I worthy? Am I valuable? Am I safe? Am I good enough? Am I worthy? Am I am I uh, dirty? And what we'll figure out is, is that when our spouse rejects us, or when our spouse is angry, or when our spouse doesn't do the dishes, or when our spouse doesn't initiate, it brings up in us a belief about ourselves that we've always had before we got married. A lie that that has been told to us from childhood or from an earlier relationship, that now we see that we look through that lens. And so That doesn't mean our spouse doesn't have responsibility or that it's not their job to accentuate right what we already know. But it's kind of like um, you know, sex and pleasure. Like you can you can have intimacy without sex, right? Or you can have sex without without pleasure. But the sex and the intimacy, it makes all of that together an amazing thing. But one without the other can get really messy. And so we want to make sure that in all of our relationships, we see the spouse as like, you are responsible for your own stuff. If you feel unloved, the question is, are you loved? And not just by that person in the moment, but do you deserve love as a human being no matter what? And so I think what happens is, is that we get caught up in the content and the details and we don't get down to the root. And so we treat the symptom for a while. Maybe we have more sex or maybe we decide on what our spouse wants to buy or maybe we send our kid to a different school or whatever. But the next time that those feelings come up, it, we're right back to hundred percent and right back to the conflict because we really never treated the, the root cause.
0: Wow. That's incredible. I totally, I can totally see that in my own life and really the lives of my friends. So what happens when, okay, we're, we're in a cycle, we're hitting these moments. I mean, for some people like they're stuck, they're like, we just keep going around, we keep changing everything. And what I think, again, this is my personal opinion, but I think in America, it's like, I'll just change spouses. Like Absolutely. that's just, it's my, that's my easiest method. Um, it's a practice marriage and then a real marriage. Are you seeing that happen with your own practice as well?
2: Yeah, I, I want to say, give this caveat and I know you would agree. You know, obviously if you're in an abusive situation, if you're in a, in a betrayal situation, you know, and they're not stopping and they're not getting in recovery, you have to do what's best for your safety and for the best of the safety of your children, your, your, whether you're a male, female, it doesn't matter. So it's not a judgment on if you do or don't get divorced, but I would say yeah. you should take into account what is my responsibility in this? You know, where did this start? Because it, it doesn't just happen out of nowhere, right? No one cheats most likely out of, out, of, out of a vacuum or starts, you know, is addicted to something out of a vacuum. It builds over time. And so what I'm seeing is that in, in the cases of, you know, people just divorcing, like you said, because it's easy and convenient, Neither way is convenient or easy. Yeah. You know, you're going to bring that stuff with you into the next relationship, which is why the statistic is like 80 something percent of a divorce rate for a second marriage.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so what I would challenge people is, is stop and figure out what is it that you truly believe about God, about yourself and about other people. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the three things you're going to have to rewrite. And, and when Paul talks about in the Bible being transformed by the renewing of your mind, that's what he's, he's saying You have to get back to the root. You have to get back to your belief. And your belief is shaping your thoughts and feelings, which is shaping your actions. And so much of our our world is focused on marriage, on, I mean, prison system, on whatever, church even, on our behaviors. What's my spouse doing and how's that making me feel? Mm -hmm. Well, if you stay in that cycle, you're going to stay stuck forever. But if you stop and go, what's their behavior say about me? Oh, well, he's drinking too much. Well, that says I'm not worthy oh my goodness, you're, you're letting an external thing determine your, your internal worth and value. No, their drinking too much says a lot about them. Their anger says a lot about them. It says they're in pain and they're hurting and they're not feeling loved and safe. And so we get in this cycle because we, we think the other person is responsible to make us feel a certain way or that their behavior says something about our worth and value. And they can't change that right? They can't make you feel loved. They can accentuate the love you have for yourself, but if they're being unhealthy and toxic, that says a lot about them, not a lot about you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's, that took me years to figure that out. And I totally agree. (laughs) I I know, but I love, I love that because I've never looked at it with that complete like filter, the idea that how does their behavior make me feel? And what is that telling me about myself? I don't think I've looked at it like that. I've looked at it as how you choose to responses, to everything about you, and how I choose responses, everything about me, and how your acting gives me a lot of information. But I haven't had that full connection of it. why am I allowing this, or what am I? Why am I? What's going on inside of me that this behavior seems normal, or I'm I'm just tolerating this, or I'm waiting to control it? And yep. either of which I have right.
2: Yeah, and all of that is, is, is our coping skill, right? All of that is us going, well, I'm just going to let you do it and tolerate it. Well, if, if you're saying I'm, I'm going to tolerate abuse, then there's a deeper, what you're saying about you is that I'm okay. I'm not worth fighting for. I'm not worth saying no. I'm not worth setting that boundary. Or if I set a boundary, you're going to blow through it anyway. And so again, that still says that I'm not worthy of keeping a boundary. And so we get it, we don't get deep enough, you know, in our writings and our teachings and in our in our engaging with people. We we give them bullet, you know, band-aids for bullet holes, you know, and mm. it's like we're gonna we're gonna help you right now, we're gonna fix this right now. And it does for a moment.
0: I, I love that band aids for bullet holes. Did you did you just come up with that?
2: <laughs> I didn't just come up with it. I was in. A, I was, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I was in a. I teach a what's called a John school. So it's yeah. men who are first time offenders of buying prostitutes or buy, solic- soliciting sex. And, uh, me and Cassie Hammett, one of my, one of my friends and founders of the the ministry I work with, we were in this meeting and we were telling these guys about trauma and sex addiction and how their early childhood trauma can create addiction, which then causes them to disassociate and want to act out with random strangers. And, and, uh, and one of the guys at the end, he said, I feel like my whole life people have been putting band-aids over bullet holes. And this has actually been the first thing that's made me understand that my actions are coming from my own trauma. I'm still responsible for them, but the shame that I've been feeling, I need to let go of. And that's going to actually help me not do this again. Not a bunch of beating me up and feeling like a horrible person and, and those type of things. So that's where it came from. And then it was it's just really- such, a, such a great analogy, you know, because it's true. And I, as, a, as a veteran, like it's kind of a lot of veterans say that too, like bandage over bullet holes, because you know, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah it's not going to stop the bleeding so uh, okay here's my question so what happens if someone's in a marriage right now and we've been talking a little bit about knowing ourselves seeing their behavior how do we know if it's abuse and how do we know if it's not I think that's a question I get a lot as a minister what what's where's the line and how would I be able to know that myself
2: yeah um other people being in your life community, I think nothing is really going to be clear unless you have trustworthy people in your life who can, who know you and your spouse and him, who can say, yeah, that's not okay. Like, or they, they can say, Hey, uh, Clint, you're getting a little offended. And sh- you know, that didn't sound offensive to me, you know? So that's the first thing. If you're isolated and alone, you've got to get other people in your life, whether it's a pastor, whether it's a minister, another woman, another man, yeah, or a professional, like if you don't have anybody and you're isolated, you're going to have to find someone who, who can, you, know, you can get support from to give you a different lens and, and give you honesty and go, hey, hold on. you know Your husband is initiating, and he is asking you to have more sex, but he's not forcing you. Or, hey, your husband's being mm-hmm. super demanding and manipulating you into that, and that's abusive, and you need to set a boundary because that's good for him and you. The boundary isn't, oh, I'm going to take control and I'm going to make him. It's it's I love him and and I love her and and I'm going to believe in myself and love myself because my best self coming forward is going to be best for them.
0: I love that. I love that. That's excellent. So feedback. Feedback is critical to know. I know when I went to counseling for the first time and our community knows this, I had postpartum depression three times and walked through that three times. And I just needed to know what was normal. Like our world is so complex. Like, is this normal? Am I like clinically depressed or am I, do I have clinical anxiety? Or is this like a normal experience that you're going to get through? And I just think we don't have those watermarks. We don't know what's normal. So we freak out and we go, this is this addiction. Is this abuse? Is this, and then we use words like toxic and we use words that are, uh, really intense, and so is toxic. The way the person talked to me at the coffee shop. I don't have a really good understanding of what's normal. So I love what you're saying, but just get feedback. Get somebody in your life that is has a healthy perspective that says this is a this is not okay, or hey, no, that's a little normal. Uh, we need to walk through. I was thinking about this not to belabor. I was speaking Saturday, and a girl came up to me, and she had been in chronic pain for ten years, and I had been talking to her about it was spiritual warfare. And her question was, you know, is this, am I missing something? Is this the enemy? And I just looked at her and said, you've been in chronic pain for 10 years. God's not hiding anything from you. You're weary of being in pain. You're not missing anything. If you were going to figure it out, if you wanted to figure it out, you would have figured it out. This is just a mystery. We don't quite know why this is. But I just think people often are trying to find a reason why they're in pain. And sometimes they just, it's just because it's painful, but I don't, I don't know. Do you find people either they get stuck? And I think there are people right now that are listening that are like, I feel a little stuck in this. What do I do with the pain that I'm in? Is it spiritual? Is it demonic? Is it, do I need to get counseling or medication? How do we know those things?
2: I mean, I, I know not to belabor the point, but it's going to be in, in community. We're not going to know them. You know, we can pray and we can be in the closet. But in chapter three of the Bible, when Adam is, is giving, you know, God's taking the rib from Adam and creating Eve, it says it's not good for man to be alone. And that's before sin entered into the world. So, like, Adam had a, a, a God who was perfect, and yet God was still saying we need a community. Does that make sense? Like it's like yeah, the God of the wow. universe, and He's saying that's that's not all that you need. You need community as well. And so it's it, he looked around and he saw the animals and he was like, "Oh, I'm I'm a longing for more." And he had the God of the universe with him. That's not saying God isn't enough. That said, that's why we're the image of God. That's why they were the Imago Dei is because we are God. We're part of God. We have the Holy Spirit eventually, hopefully, and and those those people in our lives we have to have. To be able to see clearly who we are and whose we are,
1: and and, our, and
2: the people closest to us are going to be saying, "Listen, you're loved, you're worthy, you're secure." Not maybe not physically right now, maybe not in your behavior. Maybe you have some unhealthy behaviors, but that doesn't define your worth and value. That doesn't define your security. And so, even if you do get divorced, even if you, okay, so you know people come to you, they come to me, and they're like, "What's the right answer?" Well, the thing is, is like, even if you make the wrong answer, you're still secure in God's care. You're still lovable. You're still worthy if you if you don't make the best choice and everything is still redeemable and reconcilable. I've seen couples choose divorce, separate and then get back together and get remarried. Now, I'm not saying that's what everybody's going to do, but God can do all things and he's, he's not going to be confusing and he's not going to bring chaos into your life. And so if you're feeling confused and chaotic, it may be a season of just waiting and listening, finding support. And, and, and that support is going to talk to you and going to communicate clearly. But if you're waiting and you're in pain and you're like, man, this really stinks. I'm really suffering. I'm all alone. Then look around you and find some people.
0: Yeah. Clint, I love that you said that because there is that kind of, you know, what do I do? And am I going to mess this up? And there's just this weird anxiety where I'm like, wait, 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 God's not mean. He's not withholding. He's not testing you. Like, this is not our God. And so whatever no. that is, is a reflection of how you feel about yourself or how other people have wanted you to feel about yourself. But yeah. I love that. I think God yeah. is so gracious and, and generous and he'll, he'll, he'll help us if we're surrendered. So let me ask you this. What if somebody is listening? Cause they're, we're talking about restoration a little bit today, or I want to, at least <laughs> I yeah. feel like I could talk to you about just the basics and you're, I keep wanting to stop you and be like, let's talk about that. Cause that's really, really good. But What if somebody is in a marriage or relationship where somebody has either, they found out that pornography is involved or an emotional relationship, or uh, there's a betrayal that has happened again. Uh, What what does someone do when they're stuck at that moment right now? And how do they know kind of what to do?
2: Yeah. So I'm a CSAT, which is a certified sex addiction therapist. And uh, this this is through the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction. And what we get trained on is what's called betrayal trauma and so what people have to realize is, is that about 86 percent of people who find out spontaneously that their husband is or wife has had an affair or is addicted to pornography they have ptsd symptoms so they they have the same you know type of trauma that somebody who goes to war or somebody who's been through a rape and so they have to recognize that the hyper the fear the policing, the um, the irritation, the disgust with sexuality, like all of those, are a trauma response, and they're an appropriate response to a very inner inappropriate experience. And so, as a spouse, you have to you have to get in there and do that work of recovery. And as a couple, if you're going to stay together, you definitely have to take some time to work on the addict's or the betrayed the pet betrayer's trauma that made them act out. And then as the as the person who's saying, hey, I was just I was just wounded. I was betrayed. You're going to have to go and work on getting over the trauma of that and work with some therapists who are working together hand in hand, because you can't work on the marriage until that addiction, until that betrayal and the trauma is resolved, you know, or at least, you know, mitigated. Because what's going to happen is you get in a couple session and everything's going to be around. He didn't do this. She didn't do this. Well, you didn't do this. And then it's just a fight. And then 50 minutes later, you're out. And now everybody's wanting to give up because you're hopeless. And it's because both people are still having this trauma response, which when you're in a trauma response, you cannot think logically. So, you know, you have right brain and left brain. Um, Your right brain is, is music and art and fantasy. Your left brain is logic, right? Simple way to explain it. Well, when your right brain is turned on, your left brain is turned off. And so any two people who are in a conflict or that there's been betrayal, the right brain is going to be overly stimulated and until you get that right brain, calmed down and deescalated. And you get that left brain turned on. There cannot be any learning. Wow. So partner's been through betrayal trauma. They need to go to a therapist like they would a doctor and say, Hey, I'm going to need you to help me heal, get my prefrontal back online so I can be around my spouse and talk to them without going to attend and without the flashbacks and the images. The other thing I would say is, wow is what you're going to want to do is ask for all the details. Please don't. Please wait and get, yes. and, and get, let, get the details from them in a, in a uh, safe way with somebody else who can, who can navigate that with you because there are things that you think you want to know that once you know, you can't unknow. And that when you get healthier, you're going to realize you didn't need to know. And then there are things that you need to know. Where'd you go? Who were you with? How, would you, how could you do this again? Because you want to protect yourself, and so your brain, the watchdog that's up there, is like, I need to know all this so I can make sure this never happens again. But the reality is, is like, even if you know it all, if they're not healthy, they can do it again, and that and that's a, that's the cycle we find ourselves in. We it's a it's cycle.
0: So, uh, Clint, what what does somebody have the same PTSD reaction to somebody who finds out their spouse is involved in pornography? Is it the same thing,
2: it or is depends it very on the- different? It depends on the person, right? Our responses okay. to, to sexual things, especially will depend on our history. So, you know, if you're a, you're a woman who has talked about porn before, who understands mm-hmm. addiction, who understands, um, again, that that says a lot more about your husband's struggle than it, or your wife's struggle than it does about you, then it's going to hurt. But if you're a person who has their own shame around sexuality, who already feels not good enough, who is comparing themselves to other women on Instagram. Right, and, th- and then you hear this. Well, yeah, it's going to be even more of a response because it's saying a lot about it that it doesn't really have anything to do with. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have a right to your feelings or your experience of that. But what I've seen in, in countless cases is once you get through the work, what I hear women saying, or men, because now it's about half. Yeah, you know, it is, is. Is it about
0: half? It, I mean,
2: people well, over that are doing viewing- it. That, that's been the increase. So in teenagers... Um, I did a podcast with the uh, Center for Sexual Ex- Exploitation a few months ago, and she was saying that in one of the newest studies, they did a poll for teenagers, and the girls actually scored like a point higher than the boys in the last month. Now, we can for, talk about all... For,
0: for the- pornography? Okay.
2: Then the reason that is, is because the boys have been watching it so long that the girls are now watching it to see what they want, and, to, and then before they know it, they're addicted because you just can't watch sort- things like that without it being arousing at some point. Anyway, there's a lot more to say about that, but you can I know, them. we can
0: have a whole podcast. Yeah, and don't yeah, worry yeah. guys, we'll point, you, we'll point you in that direction in his podcast, but wow. So it's up to me. I knew, I knew it was a seven out of 10 men and five out of 10 women when I was doing the stats, but that makes sense. COVID has increased.
2: Yep. So, so yeah, you're. It just depends on your background, you know, um, on how you take it. I've had women who their husband watched porn one time and they kicked him out. I've had women whose husbands are struggling with porn every day and they're like, I get it. It's a struggle. You were, you know, you had trauma when you were little or you were exposed to it when you're little, but they knew their story. And I think that's the important part for me to point out is the two things I think as any healthy human, but especially as Christians that we should never say once we're mature is I would never do that. And how could they do that? Because if you've sat with anybody and discipled them, and you see their behavior, their broken behavior, and you hear their story, it's going to make perfect sense. You're going to go, "Oh, I totally get why you you stole money, or I totally get why you struggle with porn, or I totally get why you lose your temper. Your dad beat you for your whole life, or your parents were divorced, or you were in poverty, or you went through this struggle." And so, I, I challenge spouses like get to know each other again. Like, what you know, your testimony of God, if you're especially if you're Christians. Isn't just like, oh, when I was 32, I realized I was a piece of crap and I, I was at a worship event and I got saved and now I've been good. It's like, <laughs> well, no, what was, what did God, all of that build up up until 32, what was that testimony? Like, what was he doing there? And what were you going through that he needed to repair in that moment? And so, but we're afraid to talk about that because then we have to deal with it. So wait, what were the
0: two things I, w- I would never, why did you do that? What was it? Again?
2: Yeah, it was, it, it's, I would never do that. And how could they do that? So what I mean is, is like, if you, if you look at a person, let's say child molester, right? Let's use a drastic one and go, I would never do that. Well, of course you wouldn't, you're not them. You didn't have their parents. You didn't have their childhood. You didn't have their experience. You're not their gender. You haven't drawn up in their culture. But if right. you were, you would have turned out the same way, right? It, it's by the grace of God that we didn't up wow. those ways. And so that doesn't mean that they don't need consequences and they don't need recovery and they don't need boundaries, but right. it's our ego that gets in the way that says I would never do that. So when a, a, a partner betrays us or a partner struggle with pornography or a partner struggling with anger, if our perspective is I'm morally got the high ground because I don't cope that way, yeah. then we're not taking their story into account. And we would dang sure want somebody to take our story into account when it comes to our stuff.
0: Right, we we want grace.
2: Right, like hold up, you don't know my mom. You know, you don't know what's (laughs) happened to me that causes me to do these things. And so then we start putting sins on a level and go, oh well, sexual sins worse than you know Mm -hmm. eating or it has Mm -hmm. more consequences sometimes, but not from from a moral perspective, it's not any worse. And so then the other thing is, you know, how could they do that? And it's like, well, how could they do that because they're human and they're sinful. And a, probably a lot of really horrible things happened to them to get them to that point.
0: Yeah. Well said. And I think what you're saying too, is it, you know, you can't have relationship without empathy. So you can't, have, uh, you can't have, like, I find that when the moment I put myself in their story, I immediately feel compassion and grace, yep. but, but if you're talking about it figuratively, if we kind of objectify people's stories, objectify people in our life, then we kind of go, well, I would never, and how could they? But when we think about like your child or your spouse or someone closer to you, I feel like empathy is there. And then if you think about the darkest moment in your life, if that was ever exposed, what would you, I mean, do you want people to know that? And how would you want someone to respond to you? I feel like those are really critical. So what happens if somebody is saying, okay, my spouse has confessed this to me and then we never talked about it. It's like, I found that they did this or this happened. And now I'm terrified and I'm anxious, but what do I do? Do I go back and revisit it? Do I tell my pastor? I just, I talk to people like this all the time that they have all this information, but they don't quite know what to do now.
2: Yeah. So I would ask, I would first ask, why did I not talk about it? You know, what's going on in me? Mm. What is their behavior saying about me? What's that remind me of? Was that my dad? Was that my mom? Was that was I told something about myself that says this, that, that, that this, is, that's, this is coming up in? And then I would go meet with someone and say, hey, this is what's happening. I need to confess this. I need to talk about this. You know, scripture says, confess our sins to one another and then we'll be healed. And sometimes I feel like with my best friends, I'm like, man, I know that's true, but oof, I do not want to talk about this, uh, you know, and. And my, my brain goes. I texted my one of my best friends the other day and said, "Is it in the one that I'm confessing to that I have to trust, or the one who tells me to confess?" Right. So, is it when I'm mm-hmm. worried about mm-hmm. confessing, I'm going, "Well, I, I don't I don't trust this pastor. I don't trust my best friend, or maybe they can't handle it." Well, that's not who you're trusting in when you're confessing. You're trusting in God, and when He says you're going to be healed, why do we think we're going to be wounded? Wow. It goes back to this belief of do i trust god with my pain and with my story and with these things that have happened and scripture's saying yes trust me share that unburden that somebody's going to help you navigate and dig in and figure out what's true so you can live at peace and so that's the first step the second the second step is having that hard conversation you know you deserve for your pain to be heard and you deserve to say i don't want you watching porn I do not Mm -hmm. like that you act that way. I don't want you to drink three drinks when we go out. This makes me feel this way. This reminds me of my childhood. And I don't want you to bring that up in me. And if they say no, then you make another request, right? It's like, we all can make reasonable requests to each other. That's not being bossy. That's not being controlling. That's not being, you know, whatever's been said. And a lot of times, right, gaslighting has happened so much where, We've tried to bring something up and they shut us down or you're crazy or you're ridiculous or this is just what men do or women do or, you know, and that's, again, where we get in this this kind of like tunnel vision when we're outside of community where we, we don't know what's true and we don't want to share with somebody because they might look down on us. And then that whole cycle starts again.
0: Gosh, that's so profound. I was thinking about even with my girlfriends, we meet every other week, like 730 to 930. We share our lives, our story. It's really important. But even times when we'll go to share something that was a betrayal or something that has affected us, you'll notice that if it's wrong, all the girls are like, no, he can't say that or she can't say that. There's almost like this universal line of that's just unacceptable. But in your mind, when you're by yourself, you're thinking, is this not okay? Well, they said this. So I love that concept of, and I, I know it's like obviously a very clear thing, like go to community, but I've never looked at it as a place to really figure out What's working? What's not working? Healing, wholeness, and then also what you said, Clint, which I thought was just profound. I'm going to think about this for days to come. Which is that, who am I trusting? The person I'm telling, or the one that told me it's if I, if I confess, I'll be healed. Who am I trusting? Oh, that's that's profound. I mean, that could be a whole message in itself. So, um, what about? Let me ask you this. For, for believers that are experiencing divorce right now, like their friends are getting divorced. They're, yeah. you know, how are we navigating that as a community too? Because there's kind of this shame around it. of I'm not really allowed to say anything because they didn't ask. Or I've been divorced and I feel like nobody wants to talk to me anymore or nobody wants to bring it up. How do we navigate divorce better in our communities? Because the Bible says God hates divorce, right? So we're like, can hey, we have that scripture? We know, and I know he doesn't mean that I hate the act of it as much as I hate what it does. I mean, again, you know, that part, but how are we, how would you help us navigate some of that? Do we confront someone who's on the in the brink of divorce and say, please don't do this? How do we navigate
2: it? Okay. So I'm, I'm working on this me and you were talking about this before the podcast about writing. And, and so some of what I'm writing is, is about discipleship and trauma informed discipleship and, and how to, you know, how to do this right, I think, or better. Um, But part of it starts with, if it's your friend, like, where have we not been engaged with them to know this was happening? Where are the parts where we ignored, or we felt like, oh, I don't really want to say something. You know, so a lot of times it's our own stuff. It's like, well, Yeah, I knew they were fighting all the time, but like, I never stopped to take them to coffee or I never, I never said, Hey, I'll come over and pray with you guys. I'll come over and engage with you guys. I'll pay for your therapy if you can't afford it. Like, you know, I'll go with you to therapy if you can't, if you can't, like, where are we engaging with the people that are next to us and with us? And if we're not, then we got to stop and go, what can I do? Not because we got to fix it or save it, but because we're literally like supposed to be doing this together. So that's the first thing. The other thing I would say is, you know, God does hate divorce. But one of the things I always ask people, probably, I don't know, uh, fifth session, maybe sometimes earlier, is if God's looking at you right now, what do you think he thinks? Mm. And people will people will put their hand over their face and they'll put their head down and they'll cry and they'll say, I think he's probably really disappointed. And I say, that is not the gospel. Mm. You know, he, you are bought with a price you are washed white as snow your sins are cast from the east to the west you stand in his righteousness you are hidden in christ when god looks at you he sees jesus that's it and so he can't be disappointed in you and also see jesus so even if you are divorced even if you are divorcing that doesn't say anything about your worth and value or your security in god's love if you if you believe that and that resonates in your life Then your actions, the Holy Spirit will work in your actions and in your behaviors and in your thoughts to bring that marriage back together or to bring you in the right direction from that marriage. But if the center point is, I'm a piece of crap, I'm unworthy, I'm not lovable, I'm broken, Mm -hmm. I'm dirty, then it's never gonna go the right direction because you're working from a false belief system. And so every decision you make and every behavior you act on is gonna be about self preservation instead of about obedience.
0: And I agree. So on two levels, you're saying: number one, if you have a friend that's in crisis or going through something like this, the question to ask ourselves, which is, where was my role? Where could I? Where did I miss something that I didn't even know this was happening, or they didn't even want to know my opinion about it? Which again, not everybody does. So granted, you're not obviously everything to all people. But and then, uh, secondly, if you are somebody who's going through a breakup or a, a, a you know broken marriage and it's over how God looks at you and your ability to see that it's going to affect your ability to move on and be healed no matter what. Yes. Right. Is that kind of what you're saying?
2: i say, yeah, it's spot on. I'm saying, yes, exactly. I don't need to repeat it. You, you know, no, I right. love
0: it. i just want to make sure I got it right. Cause I, what you're saying I think is critical.
2: Yeah. I think we just sit in a place where I'm not saying your sin doesn't matter, but it doesn't like ultimately yeah. Jesus came to say, I'm going to do something with your sin. So profound and so scandalous and so emotionally driving that like, I'm going to sit down next to God. Like, you know, the the whole sitting down part is, is there was a high priest who was in there in the, in the, you know, in the temple who never sat down, there wasn't a chair in the temple. And so when it says Jesus sat down next to the right hand of the, by the side of the father, it's saying all the work's done.
0: Wow. You, You
2: can sit down like I can, it's it's done. There's nothing else to do. Yeah. And so you get pushback where people are like, Well, I mean, you know, God hates sin. I'm like, he does hate sin. So he became Jesus and bore all sin and let it crush him and kill him because he hates it so much. Because we can't do anything about it. And so you can't stay married enough, divorce enough, do good enough, earn it, or lose it. And I think as people, We we grow up in family system where we're constantly not getting that same love. We're we're having to earn it. We're having to prove it. We're having to perform, Mm -hmm. and that says a lot about our worth and value. And until we really dig deep, I can guarantee if people trace their fights and their arguments and their strife that got them to divorce, it's going to be a lot of that.
0: Uh, Wow, that's profound. I totally agree. I and I know what you're saying. I know that there are those that are listening that are saying, well you know, sends a factor. And I, I don't, I think what we're talking about is your value and worth is so separate than your actions. And no matter if you never did another thing, you would just be as valuable as if you had done create everything. Like there's a, there's a weird, almost like chemistry, or I don't even know. It's a culture within the church that is very connected to works and very connected to performance and very connected to shame and punishment and all the things that really Christ came to get rid of. And Uh, I was talking to a pastor recently and he said, when I, he said, I had a revelation three years ago. He said, my whole life changed. This is a pastor's kid, a leader's son that his dad was on TV. You probably know who he is, but I said it. And he said, when I was able to understand the grace of God, I was more holy on accident than I ever was on purpose. So good. And I thought it was brilliant. I thought that is the grace of God. I'm more holy on accident because I'm not trying to get someone's opinion or approval or uh, a focus, attention. I'm not just me, fully loved, fully known, fully whole in his presence. There's something that happens. There's an exchange. I, I don't think, honestly, that I have that. I mean, I want it. I'm working on it. I'm learning. I'm studying that, But there is still that aspect, I think, of our culture that it just doesn't get it. We just don't get it. And then you have those that I think the people that get it the most are the ones that have been beat down and broken to the point where they have nothing left and they finally go and Jesus was there, but it's those of us that are still, you know, not, we're not at that broken, broken place. And so we kind of still like, we, we, we feel like we're still kind of navigating the grace of God by how we, we act or what we're producing or whatever.
2: So I'm not saying
0: that I don't, I want that. I'm just saying I'm aware of it. And I would be naive to say, I didn't have some sense and I think there are those that are listening that also and I grew up in church environment it does not do well I, I've seen thousands of my friends and community exit stage left from the faith because who wants to be around an angry disconnect to God I yeah, wouldn't
2: and that, and yeah and I, I work with atheists and Buddhists and Muslim and you know like at the end of the day I, I would say the only the difference between Christianity and all other religions is that it's not works based yes you yes. literally can't do anything to earn your salvation. God is pleased with you because you're His child, and so, but we don't we don't act like that as the American Christianity, you know, or Christianity in general, but especially in America, which is all I can kind of focus on. It, it's it's again, it's a workspace model, even in the places that are saying, "Hey, we're gospel centered," but it's like, but also, if you drink your custard at anybody who does, you know, we're going to focus <laughs> on that. You know, I live in the south. So that's the main thing. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm screwed, I'm screwed on all of those accounts. Yeah, you are. So, um, so you know, the reality is, is that that you can, I, when people are like, well, they're a radical Christian. I'm like, yes, I am. I love Jesus. Like, I want him to be everything that I do. I want everybody who sees me to say, that's not Clint. That's the Lord, because Clint is honest about who he is. And he's a, he's a piece of crap. And he's, he's got this trauma and this history and these things. And if not for Jesus, this doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. right and
2: and so and i want to keep having that mentality so people can go that's you too like anybody listening to this there are no special people there are just people and some of us by the grace of god and the shape of community we get to live that out sooner than later and and what we don't we don't want to be is the thief on the cross right is that i, I love that story for a couple reasons one He's on the cross, right? And so if you don't know it, there's a, there's Jesus hanging in the middle and there's these two thieves. And, and the one on the left is like, looks at him and he says, he, he knows that he's Lord. And he says, Jesus looks over and he says, you'll be with me in paradise. And so the the workspace crowd, it's like, well, that can't happen if you have to earn it. If you have to do one nice thing, like if you have to do one nice word, one nice gesture, one nice service, give some money, it then the thief on the cross can't be in heaven. He cannot be with Jesus in paradise. And at the same time, I don't want to look back. I, I feel for that. I feel for that thief. How much grief he had to be hanging there. Yes, there's joy in being with Jesus, but he also got it, and so he has this, this look back of, oh my gosh. And I have that sometimes. I look back on my early twenties and my high school career, and I'm like, I, I experienced so much pain and so much heartache trying to chase the wrong things, you know. Thank God we have eternity, but man, it really stinks that I, I didn't experience yeah. this, this kind of peace then. And so, yeah, anyway, I can go on yeah. forever. Th- yeah. yeah.
0: I love it. I also think it requires a community that is actually really honest and vulnerable. And when we don't, you know, we want people to be vulnerable, but if we're not going to be vulnerable ourselves, it's like, you, you got to be able to say, this is my crap too. And this yeah. is who I am. And we just don't, we just don't. And fear of rejection or whatever it is, the culture. I love what you're saying. I, listen, I know we could keep talking. I am, I feel like therapy is like my side, like love. I I just love conversations about stuff like this. And I would love nothing more than, I would love you to come back at some point. I'd, I'd like to talk about sexual addiction and how to deal with that in our lives. I have teen boys, obviously that I'd love to protect. Just want to find out ways that we as women, and there's a lot of women that are dealing with sexual addiction. So again, that's not a, a boys or girls, but a lot of us are dealing with this whole culture of being online and how we how we navigating that. So I would love that. Uh, but for those of you that love this and would like to learn more from Clint, you can go to clintdaviscounseling.com. That's clintdaviscounseling.com. You can also find him on socials as well. Is it just under Clint Davis? Uh, counseling on instead stuff
2: yep instagram facebook yep
0: i love it and you you haven't written a book yet but you said no. you're working on something
2: we're going on it yep
0: we're ready for yep. you
2: i think there's a lot here thanks yeah and then the my podcast is asking why with clint davis which is yes. uh no thank you thank
0: you yes asking why with clint davis all of this information will be in our show notes you guys so click over and we'll have the website and the podcast and all the things I know that a lot of you will have questions because I still have questions. I feel like uh, the first half of this podcast was just like so much. And then we're just trying to pick apart a little bit. So uh, Clint, thank you for joining me today. It's been an honor to have you on the podcast. And um, I'm just going to publicly shame you and ask you to come back. So that way you have to publicly say yes. And then I can hold it against you. No,
2: I'm just I'm in. I love this. I love what you're doing. Um, I, you know, I love the the ministry that you have and, and the passion that you have in it. And so I was thankful for you to have me on and for us to be able to talk about this. And I, and I hope that it would organically turn into more. So, you know, I love
0: I it. it. I do too. I do too. And you got the boys and you got the golden doodles. So I'll pray that you live a better life as well.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. So,
1: Clint, have a great day and we will catch up with you soon. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. We hope you loved it and learned so much from Dr. Clint just like we did. We want to invite you to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast now if you're not already. And then leave us a five-star written review. This helps to get the show in front of someone who may really need it. And if you love this episode, make sure you take a screenshot and share it on your socials and tag us at Truth2Table. We have a lot of exciting things we'll be sharing about in the coming month that you're not going to want to miss, including Havila's annual and global Bible study. Did you know every January, we host a free 15-day Bible study to help you uncomplicate spiritual truth and walk in the life God created you for? You're not going to want to miss it. Havala is releasing a brand new Bible study this year. So stay tuned. We're going to be sharing a lot more coming soon.